We're going to be looking at the topic of how to make the most of your time. This comes from Ephesians chapter 5, begin at verses 15 through 17. And uh, as we enter this new year, 2023, uh, it will be helpful to consider how to best invest our time as opposed to squandering and wasting our time. Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 15 through 17, we read from the Apostle Paul, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the truth that the Apostle Paul has in mind here, that we would get into our minds what he has in his mind as he writes these words. And Lord, we ask that you would be glorified, not just in this moment or in this day or even in this year, but for all of time and eternity. May your name be exalted and may you be glorified in your people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you'll notice that there's a parenthesis in this passage I've added. It says that is your kairos. Kairos is a Greek word. Uh, it means time, but it has a special significance. We have in Greek, we have the word chronos, which means just time as it uh, occurs, as it transpires. But the word kairos is a special quality of time uh, that we could call opportunity. Make the most of your opportunity. If you want to be more uh, specific, we could say of be more making the most of or redeeming, buying up the value of the time in which you have an opportunity. And what is that opportunity? It's the opportunity to make a choice, to choose how to invest this particular point in time. Now, i got to push a button here. There we go. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 11 through 16, uh, we, we see a, a lot of uh, information about the purpose for which God has established uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers in the church. He's given these offices to the church specifically for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And that ministry is for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, we have, I think in church tradition, slipped into a mistaken idea that equipping the saints for the work of the ministry has to do with running church programs. You know, that we're equipping the saints for the service of running the Sunday school or handling the children's nursery or or operating the visitation ministry, or anything else of that sort. 
And yet in Paul's mind at this time, he has none of that in mind specifically. But rather he has in mind the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, as we're going to see in chapter 5, of husbands loving your own wives. Wives respecting your husbands. Children obeying your parents. Uh, employers uh, being kind to your employees. Servants uh, being obedient and, and servant-hearted toward your masters. All of these things are intended to be the work of the ministry. The, work, the ministry the church is equipping you for is to live your own life for the glory of God. Now that will include church programs as you participate in the local church, but it is not exclusive to that. It's not even primarily that. It's to love your own wife, make your own living, love your neighbor as yourself. All of these things that are the work of the ministry that we are equipping the saints for through these gifts that have been given to the church, these men as pastors and teachers and so on. So what does Paul have in mind? He has in, in Ephesians 5.17, first of all, don't get drunk. Don't waste your time in drunkenness, uh, in which is dissipation, he says, but be filled with the Spirit. That's, the, that's God's alternative to getting drunk or high, is being filled with the Spirit. And I think God intends for it to be a good experience, a joyful experience. Songs and hymns and spiritual songs erupting from us as we are filled with the Spirit. But then notice where it goes next. Wives, submit to your own husbands, in verse 22. Husbands, love your wives, in verse 25. Children, obey your parents, in verse 6.1. Fathers, train up your children, in 6.4. Bond servants, be obedient to your masters, in 6.5. And you masters, do the same. Be kind to your servants, in 6.9. So all of these exhortations take time. And when Paul says, I want you to make the most of your time, he's talking about spending time, investing time in these kinds of relationships where the glory of God is revealed as we show our love for him by the way we love one another. And so kairos is opportunity time. Kairos is the opportunity for you to use your time wisely. And I'm talking to the guy now who, who's coming home from work. He has just put in a good, hard day's work. And he's standing at the front door, and he's about to step into his home where his wife and his children are there. He is now standing in opportunity time. He's standing in Kairos. And he can either enter that door and flop himself down in front of the television and pick up the paper and basically tune out and say, I've done my work for the day. I'm just going to kick back and relax now. Or he can say, no, a different kind of work is now going to begin. The work of loving my wife and embracing her and greeting her and greeting my children and, and hugging them and looking at what they've done that day. You say, but I'm tired. I've been working all day. Yeah, but there's a time for everything. And this is the time to notice that you have a wife and children behind that door as you step in. Do you see what I'm talking about? This is good making 
the most of your time. Now, we experience time as our past, which is that green area here on the chart. And then we have the present. And immediately after the present, we have our future. Now, you notice that this arrow of time only goes in one direction. For God, it would seem from what we see in the scriptures that God lives in a state of eternity. And in eternity, time is all occurring simultaneously at the same time. Uh, Albert Einstein once said that time is God's way of keeping everything from happening all at once. And, and it is true, and we shouldn't fight that. We shouldn't try to do everything all at once. We should give an appropriate amount of time to every vital area of our lives. But it has to happen within this sequence. But notice that this, this uh, period of time that we call the present is an extremely thin red line. And it is, in fact, a present from God. The present is a present. And it is that point in time in which you get to choose what to do next. That's why we call it kairos. Now, not all time is, is kairos. When you go and employ into employment and you sell your time to your employer, that time is not your own anymore. It has been given to him for a fee. And you are to focus your attention during that time on doing what is most uh, in the best interest of your employer. You cannot say, okay, boss, I'm going to take some time now and have a Bible study here. No, that is not pleasing to God. You have sold that time. Now don't steal that time from your employer. You can always secure additional time in other places and other ways in order to have that Bible study, but don't think that every moment of your life is entirely free to do whatever you want because you've entered into contracts, you've entered into commitments, you've made promises, you, maybe you've made vows. Some of those may be rash vows that you wish you hadn't made, but they're still vows that you're obligated to keep. But there are those moments when you are not obligated to, in, to do any particular thing and you have to make a choice. And that's what I'm talking about here today. Making the most of your kairos. Making the most, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now why does he make reference to the fact that the days are evil? What does he mean by that? The word evil has many connotations, many shades. It is all summed up under the word harm, okay? When we are talking about doing good, we're doing things that are beneficial to someone. When we're doing things that are evil, we're doing things that are harmful. And so harm comes in many different levels and shades. Just being annoying, you know, it's not going to kill anybody, but it it makes others miserable, right? So you can, you can have an evil uh, uh, attitude in that you're intentionally being annoying uh, to your brother or your sister or your mom or dad. Don't do that. But Paul's referring here to the fact we live in an in a age in which the days are evil. The days are harmful. So, for example, if you've ever been to a carnival where they have all these games that they want you to come and play. And there's, a, there's a, usually a guy 
who's standing in front of his, uh, his booth, and he's called a barker. And what he's doing is he's barking at everybody who goes by and taunting them and encouraging them to come over to his particular booth and play his particular game. You notice this man is wearing a microphone. He's shouting to the crowds, come on over here. Hey, see if you can't win one of these beautiful stuffed animals for your girlfriend there. What's the matter, buddy? Are you a chicken? Are you a, are you a coward? Show your manhood. Come on over here. Hey, you, I'm talking to you. Now, when you step into the world, there are barkers everywhere. Only we, now we call them commercials. Okay. Everybody loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, for your time, for your money. And if you're going to be able to fulfill the purpose of God, the will of God for your life, you've got to be able to go into that carnival and ignore all of those voices and go straight for the reason for which you are there and then leave. And don't get distracted. Don't, don't get drawn in. Don't let this guy push your buttons. Don't let him push you into doing something foolish and wasting, squandering your time. And so according to God's word, the best investment we can make with our opportunity time is to do what he calls the will of the Lord. Do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what is the will of the Lord? Well, a good place to start might be to ask ourselves, as one lawyer did in conversation with Jesus, what is the most important commandment of God? What's the most important of all those commandments, 640-something commandments? Which one's the most important? And Jesus responds in Mark chapter 12 and verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, together... These two commandments lay the entire foundation for living the Christian life. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 13 that the entire law is fulfilled in the single commandment to love your neighbor as yourself because loving your neighbor will keep you from violating any of the Ten Commandments or any of the other commandments of God because loving the neighbor will do him no harm. So, I am, uh, I told you this before, a practical theologian. Now, that's just not, not just a self-designation. You know, that is the nature of my work, the nature of how I approach the Scriptures as a practical theologian. That means that I'm, I'm deeply concerned with how things work. You know, just like a physicist wants to know how the atom works and how molecules come together and, and how the various forces uh, in the universe interact with one another. That physicist is a practical physicist is going to know how can we use this. A theoretical physicist is going to be trying to figure out you know, what it is, how it works, 
But the practical physicist is going to figure out how can we use this? How can we put this to some kind of service? And so for me, the question is, how do these four parts of our nature actually uh, work? What do they do? And how are they different from one another? How do they relate to one another? And so to give you a very simple uh, definition of, of this particular passage, I think we can think of it in this way. The heart believes that God is there to be loved. Think about that. Do you believe that God is there? You're commanded to love him with all your heart. And so with your heart, you believe that God is there to be loved. The soul yearns. And we see this all over the scriptures. The soul is the part of us that yearns. And in this case, yearns to know and to love God. The mind plans on how to love God. What specifically are we going to do in our expressions of love for God? Gathering for the services of the church, worshiping God, studying our Bibles, sharing the gospel with our neighbors. How are you going to love God? You have to use your mind to some degree to plan that. And then one's strength is what takes action to love God. To actually be a doer of his word and not a hearer only. To not just be always thinking about things, but actually going out and acting upon what you believe to be true and what your soul yearns to know and, and what your mind has planned. Your strength is the part of you that brings all that together and takes action. And so whether we're aware of it or not, this four-part se- sequence takes place in every response that we have to every aspect of truth. There's a heart, soul, mind, and strength uh, chain reaction, if you will, that's going to show up if you do honestly believe something. It will flow out into that sequence of yearning, planning, and taking action. So to help make this a little bit more tangible, I like to use the illustration of an integrated circuit. Now, some of you are involved in technology, and even those who are not have some idea that inside of your, your computer or your, your uh, whatever electronics that you have, there are these things called integrated circuits. They're circuit boards. They look like this. Well, imagine on the circuit board of your very being, there's a, com- uh, a compressor or, or there is a component that we could call your heart. And there's another we could call your soul. And there's another we can call your mind. And then there's the final one we can call that your strength. And each one of these components processes the signal in a unique and important way and then passes it on to the next component. And so we have in our uh, response to the truth that these four parts of our being each contribute to the way in which we love God and the way in which we love one another. And so there's a a cycle that takes place here. We have the heart loving with purpose. We have the soul loving with goals. We have the mind loving with plans. And we have our strength loving with actions. And then that feeds back into our heart where we then complete the cycle over and over again. And that is the story of our lives. To love God in all these ways. Now, whenever we fail 
To do what we say we believe is really important. We are exposing what is called a lack of integrity. Okay? Uh, in the circuit board of our lives. There's a, there's a connection that's not strong. And the signal's not getting through. There's a gap somewhere. And in that gap, we find ourselves failing to do what we say we believe is important. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Am I the only one that struggles to be a man of integrity who actually follows through with what he says he believes in his daily routines? So what we believe in our heart is the basis for our purpose in life. In Proverbs 20, chapter 4, verse 23, we read, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. In Romans chapter 10, and this is a deeply theological passage, there's a whole lot going on here that we need to stop and unpack. But in Romans 10, verse 10, 9 and 10, we read that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What? How does that work? He continues, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. You remember Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. When we believe in our heart, that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that God has raised him from the dead, it sets in motion a sequence. And that sequence saves us. We are saved by faith alone. But this sequence tells us that that faith will not remain alone. It will result in a soul that yearns to know and please God and a mind that plans to know and please God, and a strength that is exerted to know and please God. And so even though these things are not required for us to be saved, they all happen because we are saved. And, and in doing so, our lives are transformed. Now, what we believe in our heart to be ultimately true about God and about ourselves provides us with the reason for our very existence. This is our purpose in life. The question, why are you here? Why did God create you? Why has God redeemed you? It is for this purpose. Now, our soul is the part of us that is able to yearn and, and to set what I call passionate goals. And the only goals that ever are achieved, by the way, are passionate goals. The word passion is referring to the willingness to suffer for something. And you're only going to accomplish those goals that you're willing to suffer for. It's going to cost you something. And so in Psalm 8, in verse 2, we read, My soul yearns for the courts of the Lord. This yearning of the soul is what allows us to be emotional. It allows us to focus our will. It allows us to become a person who, as Jesus did, he set his face toward Jerusalem to go and die for us. This soul that God has given to us is a longing machine, a yearning machine. 
A longing fulfilled, we read in Proverbs 13, 19, is sweet to the soul. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, when the time had come Jesus, uh, for Jesus to be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. The soul is the seat of our, of our will and our emotions. It is not the seat of our mind. That is broken out by Jesus into a separate, separate part of the sequence. But the emotions and the will of the soul are what allow us to yearn. And in yearning, we are, whether we realize it or not, setting a goal. We are, we are identified what we will pursue. Now in Philippians 2.12, we read, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. When we find ourselves yearning, for what is good and right. That is God working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then finally, as a warning to us, <clears throat> Peter writes in chapter 2 and verse 11 in First Peter, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. That means this is not your home. Right? You're just passing through. Now don't, don't settle in and think this is, the, this is it. This is not it. He says, as uh, strangers in this world, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Your soul can be distracted by the love for the things of this world. And so Peter warns us not to indulge in those sinful desires because they are warring against your soul. And he's writing to believers when he writes this. And so yearning passionately with all of our soul is a part of how God works in us to will and to do what pleases him. Now the next, the third part of the sequence is our mind. Our mind is that part of us that can run reconnaissance, research a topic, develop a strategy, anticipate a challenge, count the costs, and then make a plan. This is what we see in Jeremiah chapter 29 in 11 through 13, where God himself says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will speak or you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Do you see how these things all interact with one another? We serve a God who has a plan. It's a very good plan. It's a plan for us to be blessed, for us to have welfare and, and not evil. So what we study and ponder with our mind provides us with the information and the perspective that we need in order to make what I would call a well-informed plan to accomplish our passionate goals. And we need to be careful at this point because there is, uh, because of our being a social person, uh, we, we sometimes consult with one another uh, when we really don't know any more about the situation 
than uh, the person asking the question. That's called pooling your ignorance, okay? Uh, and when you come, come to church and you say, you know, I'm having a pain right here in my side here, and I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's a, an evil, evil spirit. And if everybody says, yeah, I think so too, you're pooling your ignorance here, okay? That's not, that's not the way it works. With counsel, you have, you have uh, the opportunity to make good plans, wise plans. But if you only consult with people who know as little about it as you do, you're only pooling your ignorance, and you'll come away with a very foolish plan that will not work. That's why the Bible says in, mul- in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And those counselors are not just your neighbor. They're people who have some experience, perhaps some training to be able to advise you uh, at a level above and beyond the average opinion on the street. Okay? We're living in an era of the Internet, okay? and that can create a lot of confusion as people consult something that has not necessarily uh, been tested and proven true. So we need to make well-informed plans, not just plans based on our ignorance or on our pooling our ignorance with our friends, but actually uh, getting good information. Now, our strength is the part of us that allows us to have an impact on the world around us. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6, uh, Moses uh, tells Joshua to be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And the encouragement here is to be strong. Being strong is not just a matter of physical strength. It's a matter of determination and will to use the strength you have. We're called in many times, uh, we read, do not become weary in well-doing. You know, weariness is an emotional state. It's not a physical state. Weariness is not physical uh, exhaustion. It is emotional fatigue. And when a person becomes weary, they're giving in to their fears and frustrations And the commandment is don't. (laughs) Don't be weary. Instead, use the strength you have to do what needs to be done. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12, we read, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. You had to be a pretty forceful person to ignore all of the uh, social uh, uh, sanctions of all of the religious leaders and the, and the community as a whole, you know, to follow Jesus when the whole community says he's a false prophet. That takes strength. And so we're not just talking about physical strength. We're talking about the strength that comes from having a heart that knows its purpose, from having a soul that yearns passionately, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25, we read, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Now they do it to get a crown that will not last. But notice he says, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. What is it that we do that they do? The answer is strict training. We go into strict training in order to be able to win the race and not just run in it. 
So our strength allows us to take the forceful actions needed to follow the well-informed plans of our mind and to complete the passionate goals of our soul, which ultimately fulfill the life purpose that is rooted in our heart of faith. Now, by aligning our heart, soul, mind with a clear purpose, passionate goals, and informed plans, we will have the strength needed to take forceful action. Proverbs 24, verse 3 through 6, amazing passage. The the writer writes, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with precious and pleasant treasures. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Do you see how all these things are coming together in this one passage? We are called by God to glorify him in every aspect of our lives. What we believe with all our heart to be the Lord's will should be what we yearn for with all our soul and what we ponder with all of our mind. It is this integrity that will determine the level of strength that we will have for taking forceful action. Now, how, practically speaking, can we be sure to remember all of this when we need it? You know, uh, it's, it's, it all sounds good now, but when you're out there in the, in the thick of things, how are you going to remember to do what you know and believe to be the will of God? Well, this, this opens up a topic that could, could require an entire sermon or a series of sermons, but I'm just going to read the passage to you and then explain to you what, what I believe it means. In Habakkuk chapter 2, and verses 2 through 4, we find one of the most famous phrases in the entire Bible. And yet we seldom realize what the context of that phrase was when it was first introduced by God. And so let's read the passage. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he who reads it may run. Now at the time when this was written, uh, we weren't talking about paper, we're talking about tablets, okay? Clay tablets. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he who reads it may run. Think about that. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. That means it's in the future. It's not now. It's in the future. But at the end, it will speak. How will it speak? With these tablets. And it will not lie. Why? Because it's carved in hard clay, right? Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. When the time comes, it's going to happen. The vision is going to be fulfilled. Behold, the proud, his soul, 
is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. Wow! That's where the just shall live by faith originates. And Paul lifts this phrase out of Habakkuk and sets it into his letter to the Romans and explains this is why we are saved by faith alone. Like Abraham was, was saved by his faith in God. We are saved by our faith in God. But it's in the context of this instruction to write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he who reads it may run. So from this passage, I come away with this idea that first we must humble ourselves before God. Don't be this proud one whose soul is not upright within him. We need to live as those who are justified by our faith alone, not by our works, not by our own righteousness. But in order for us to run as we should and when we should, we will need to write the vision. What are we doing when we write the vision? We're writing a note to our future selves to be sure to read it and to be reminded of what we believed in that moment so clearly to be the will of the Lord for us. And so from this passage, we come away with the idea that it's important to use our gift of literacy to write notes to ourselves, to write notes to our future selves, to remind us of what we believe in this moment to be the will of God. Now, when we go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, we find the original uh, version of what Jesus says is the greatest commandment. So let's read it together. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. <laughs> What's missing? It would seem that Moses had lost his mind. He doesn't mention the mind. So when Moses does not mention the mind in what is actually the greatest commandment, what are we supposed to think about that? Well, I believe that Moses gives us a whole lot about the mind in everything that he tells us to do to be reminded. Take a look. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 8. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. That means memorize them. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. You know, those of you who've homeschooled your children realize that no one learns more than the teacher. And for you to prepare to teach these things to your children impresses them even more deeply into your own heart and mind. But notice what he says yet next. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. This is where the phylactery of the uh, Jews, you know, the little box on their forehead and the, and the things they wrapped around their arms, you know. Why were those there? Those were to remind them of the will of God. 
But notice this last command. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What are we supposed to write there? The things that Moses is commanding you this day. Moses included the mind in all the ways that he tells us to remind ourselves of what we know to be God's will. Now, we live in a modern age. It would probably be helpful to write God's uh, will on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That could, could help, right? The problem is you don't usually stay at home. You go out. You go places. So writing them on the door frames and on the houses is great, but what we need is a portable set of door frames and gates. And that is where we come to the idea of writing notes to ourselves. Anywhere you write down what you believe to be the will of God can be your portable door frames and gates. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 8 says, The noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands. Now, in the past, I have actually designed and published a thing called the Noble Planner. But the Noble Planner is not a product. It's a person. A Noble Planner is anyone who is willing to be careful how they walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of their time by doing what they understand to be the will of the Lord. That's a noble planner. And it can be summed up in the following exhortation. Write down what you believe to be the will of God in a place where you will be sure to see it in time to take obedient action. Let's read that together out loud. Write down what you believe to be the will of God in a place where you will be sure to see it in time to take obedient action. Now let's, let's read it out loud with a little more enthusiasm. Ready? Write down what you believe to be the will of God in a place where you will be sure to see it in time to take obedient action. Now, do you kind of feel a little bit of a lilting, uh, almost like a a sing-songingness to this thing? Let's, Let's try it like this. Write down what you believe to be the will of God in a place where you will be sure to see it in time to take obedient action. Write down what you believe to be the will of God in a place where you will be sure to see it in time to take obedient action. Write it down. You know, by using a song, we can remember things more easily and more permanently. So what I'd like you to do is stand for a moment, and I'd like you to sing this like a choir. Just belt it out. Let the rafters ring here today as we commit this idea to our minds. Write down what you believe to be the will of God in a place where you will be sure to see it in time to take obedient action. 
write down what you believe to be the will of God in a place where you will be sure to see it in time to take obedient action. Write it down. Thank you. You can be seated. Now when we talk about writing things down, it can look something like this. This is a page. We simply made four quadrants, heart, soul, mind, and strength, purpose, goals, plans, and actions. Our goals are stated, current goals, our appointments are listed as they relate to specific times and places. Our action list, things that we intend to do that don't necessarily be needed done at a particular time or a particular place, but which need to be done. This is a simple approach to writing a note to yourself in the future, to remind yourself of what you believe to be the will of God, the important stuff and the things that may not feel that important, but if you forget or if you neglect, it can break a relationship, it can, it can lose a fortune. This is where the circuit board shows up. Heart, soul, mind, and strength, processing our love of God by thinking in these terms of loving God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, we'll be able to strengthen the four connections on the circuit board of our lives and and have greater personal integrity. Our portable doorposts don't need to be complicated. A couple of index cards in your pocket can allow you to keep track of heart, soul, mind, and strength little notes to yourself in the future, reminding yourself of what you believe to be the will of God. If we prefer, we can use a paper journal or a day planner. All we have to do is uh, make those four quadrants and we find ourselves with heart, soul, mind, and strength again, reminding ourselves of what we believe to do to, to be the will of God. Now, let's be honest, for most people today, other than uh, Brian, uh, a portable doorpost is going to look like a smartphone. And uh, with all of its contacts and calendar and reminder apps, these are wonderful tools for keeping track of what we believe is God's will for our lives. You don't have to have something like this, but it, it uh, it does help. But whatever our tool may be, The basic concept will always be the same. And so we'll close with this. Please sing with me again. Write down what you believe to be the will of God in a place where you will be sure to see it in time to take obedient action. Write down what you believe to be the will of God in a place where you will be sure to see it in time, to take obedient action, write it down. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. I pray that this message today will show up in our lives throughout this year and all the years beyond. Lord, may we be, as you are, a God who plans the sovereign Lord God who has decreed from all eternity past his purpose to be glorified in all the earth, who has set wonderful goals to rescue his chosen people from their fall, 
who has made glorious plans to give us eternal life with him as a free gift, and who has taken forceful action to live and die in our place for our sins and then to rise from the dead for our salvation. Lord, we thank you for all of that. And now you have commanded us to make the most of our time by wisely doing what we understand from your word to be your will for our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.